Hi everyone, Charlie Webster here. I hope you're doing okay and getting through everything at the moment. We're back with a new episode of My Sporting Mind, a new podcast where I speak to sports stars about their mental health and well-being to hopefully help and inspire and know for those out there struggling that you aren't alone. Former England goalkeeper Chris Kirkland was my first guest and today we're switching sports from football to athletics. I'm really pleased to welcome the British Olympic race walker and world record holder for the one mile race walk, Tom Bosworth, to the podcast. Tom, welcome along. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Um, it's really great to speak to you. And what I want to start is at the moment, how are things and how much of an adjustment has it been for you? Yeah, it's not exactly where I thought we were going to be, um, but you know that's the case for everybody in all all walks of life right now. But for me, I keep maybe tricking myself into thinking the light is closing in at the end of the tunnel now. So, and I think that's kind of what I've been doing all the way through this is those little, those little goals, those little mini steps that what I would be putting into kind of training or or competitions and competing, you know that's what I've done all my life is just week in week out looking for those little goals to to get me to where I want to be and right now it's kind of the same method that we can put in place here to to get through this time and and not go completely out of our minds. And you mentioned about doing small little goals that's exactly how I live my life (laughs) that's exactly how I approach really uncertain times is I go right okay I don't know where we're going with this but right now I can do these little things to help me get to that next big thing I suppose for you how's it been coping mentally not having that regulated routine yes it's been difficult but at the same time I think for athletes we we've been born to cope with a situation like this because a lot of us spend a lot of time alone or missing out on things not going to see friends not going to events you know a lot of time training away so it, it's almost like this is quite normal for us, except without any competitions, without any pressure. So I'm trying to see that as a, as a positive. You know, I've had been gifted this time to spend my with my fiance, with my dog at home. I can work on the garden. I can do those little things that make me happy as a person and not just as an athlete. So, yeah, I, th- I think really athletes are, are prepared better than anybody. And we're, we're, we're quite fortunate, I think. And... Everyone's going to have that time of feeling lost, frustrated, whatever it is. But it's how you manage that. It makes or breaks everything. And, and I think most athletes, or at least athletes with experience of injuries, of highs and lows, they know not to panic massively and start making big changes in a time where, for most people, there is no rush, there is no pressure, because there's nothing we can do about it for another you know, weeks, months, potentially. So is it about making small changes or just accepting the situation and doing what you can control right now yeah doing what you can control is is spot on and in six nine months time we might be back to normal and life's busy as ever and you look back and go god i wish i spent more time just in the garden doing something or i wish i spoke to my brother sister on facetime more or, or those people you're in the house with if you're not alone you know it everyone in hindsight always says oh I wish I'd done that well this is now the absolute prime time to do that thing that you've always wanted to do yeah I think people including myself have a habit of of trying to be productive and trying to push but sometimes that's not necessarily the right thing to do because it does just cause frustration 
we've, we've really focused on mental health on this podcast. And I know, I mean, I've read various articles that have been in the public about yourself and um, living with depression and anxiety. And um, you've spoken about suicide before. Now that I'm talking to you, how would you look back at yourself and how different are you now? Oh, I mean, it was two very long years of my life that I, I guess from a young age, you know, mid, mid-teens, I'd say, there's always a bit about me I never really liked and so on. It kind of built off the likes of the way people treated you at school. Kids found out that I was gay at school from about 14 and that made my life hell. And I kind of used that as an excuse to be a bit off the rails, a bit kind of just not knowing where I'm going with my life. But I would also take it, always take it out on on other people. I'd always get quite frustrated, quite angry. And, and there was always a part of me that, that I never really liked. In about end of 2017, a lot happened in, in kind of my sport and world championships, disqualification in front of 30,000 people in front of Buckingham Yeah, Paris. that was on, on the BBC, wasn't it, in primetime yeah, TV? Prime primetime Sunday viewing. Probably the most f- famous moment of my of my career for the wrong reasons. And it just snowballed and caused an effect on me that kind of brought all that person in me that I, I kind of had shut away, the, the, the person who had been frustrated at, at being gay and, and kind of told... I told myself what a terrible person, you deserve all the bullying, you deserve everything, they're right. You know, everything they said to you, they're right. And all that came out and I went into self-destruct mode and that part of me just took over. And for two years straight, there was not one bit of me thinking like how I normally have thought, the goals I set, the processes I go through day to day. I woke up every day with no ambition, no drive, not wanting to do anything, not giving a toss about my family, having my fiance, and I treated all of them terribly. I treated myself terribly. I'd go out drinking. I wouldn't come home. I would be, yeah, I just w- wouldn't care. And I look at that person and I think, goodness me, what what had control over my brain? <laughs> like, uh, I'm embarrassed. I, I'm saddened by it. I, I think back at the things I did and said and the way I behaved and then, uh, and just how, it makes me sad thinking how sad I was as well because I met I remember the pain in my head and in my heart which took over my body at, and always would lead two or three times at least to to attempting to take my own life and I I'm sad because not because I feel like that anymore but like I look at it like I'm sat on a sofa thinking of this memory of somebody else sat in that in my shoes and feeling so sad for them because they seem so sad. I know that sound. I don't know whether that even came across right or, or makes sense. But it it's like, it was like I was a completely different person. It it completely makes sense what you were saying, and it's interesting you were saying about you were just so sad, but you were, you you described yourself as a terrible person. But it was those behaviours that you were using to try and cope with how you really felt. Actually, one of my questions was going to be, do you think that when you were younger and what happened to you at school and you said you you had some bullying and homophobic abuse actually affected how you coped and how you viewed yourself after that disqualification? I remember a picture of you on the Mall outside Buckingham Palace in London and you just looked absolutely distraught, which I think is a really normal reaction, but then do you think the 
self-destructive behaviors after that with with the drinking and the, the risky behavior was because of how you ultimately felt about yourself before part partly yes definitely and and over the years you know if I'd have an argument with Harry or if something didn't go my way or something like that a little bit of that might come out but it was kind of exposed because of the last probably I guess the two years prior to that moment in in London in 2017 you know the backstory was I was sixth at the Olympic Games going in ranked about 27th and you know had the best race of my life broke the British record um, and then three days four days later proposed to Harry on Copacabana Beach in Brazil and yeah that was the Rio Games right yeah yeah and it just just that all went viral it was just the best 10 days of my life I, I obviously had outperformed anywhere I thought I would and the year before I competed at the world championships again did all right but I was starting to kind of make it on the international scene and at the end of that year to kind of preempt what could happen in 2016 I came out as well publicly and never realized how much of a bigger deal that was going to be I never realized the kind of issue LGBT people face in sport and basically there is the, they're not represented in sport at all and so that opened so many doors and again a lot of media attention and I, it was completely unexpected so by 2017 those those pictures that you mentioned of the disqualification in London I look at them and it's that same feeling that I look at those pictures as how I then look at the person a year 18 months later who's wanting to go commit suicide because the pain was there, it written across my face. It showed how much it meant to me and it meant way too much to me. And that's what none of my team or I had spotted beforehand was the build-up over those two years of kind of increased social media following, increased performances. More people were talking about, oh, could Tom be a medalist after finishing sixth at the Olympics? Could he medal at the World Championships? Just going from an absolute nobody in a sport that nobody had even heard of to starting people getting recognizing me you know uh, I was just having the best two years of my life and I built it up in my head that now I've got to reward everybody else as well as myself with a medal I can't underperform now because everybody's gonna be watching and, and expecting me to win it and it just meant too much I remember walking out onto the start of that race the noise when my name was called was just absolutely terrifying but electrifying and and as a, as a, it was a 1K course, 2K course up and down the mile and the noise that just followed me, uh, you know, I felt like I had the 12th man, as they say in football, you know, I really felt like I, I had that support and, and again, it just meant even more and and one moment I'll never forget, it'll be one of the most unfortunate, memorable moments of my career was the, mo- the moment the, the chief judge stepped out in front of me, the referee, and gave me the red card to, to disqualify me because of security and all sorts. It was about 200 metres still from the from the start finish line where you could get on and off the race course. So they had to bring me down the middle of the race course whilst the race was still going on. And to, another official had to come up and remove my name number on, that was on my vest. Uh, and, you know, I could barely I could barely walk. I could barely carry myself down like this volunteer came over and car- basically carried me over one shoulder down the mal and the crowd started chanting something like we love tom or or something like that and and i applauded back to to the crowd as they made so much noise but it was it's one of the most unforgettable moments and and it was it felt like everything i had achieved had come down to that day just the result had gone so wrong and i 
put more than my whole life into it. And there, there was too much there. Somebody should have said, what else have you got going on in your life? What else are you doing? Just in case you get injured or something goes wrong. Is it the that entire, I don't know, achievement defined exactly who you are? So when that didn't happen, it was almost like, well, who are you? And are you good enough? What happened in those following weeks? Because you've talked about those self-destructive behaviours. And honestly, Tom, I think so many people will relate to you, you know, even though only a tiny percentage of people will will win medals and, and achieve like you have in professional sport. But on a humanity level, so many people um, do those behaviours to, to try and cope with actually how they're feeling underneath. And it's so hard when you're feeling like that to recognise that you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's the hardest. You, you don't, especially to start with, you don't see like you're doing anything wrong. You're just having fun. You're just going for a drink. You're just having a night out. You're just, you know, oh. I'll text Harry or I'll text my partner in a minute or they won't mind if I'm not there. Or you just don't see the damage you're doing and then you have the, those hours upon hours of potentially just being stuck in bed or just just crying to yourself or just beating yourself up constantly. And I'm quite an extroverted person, but as soon as I would leave those environments, I would completely change person and all my head would be is running around at, in my own mind going just I, I can't to be honest I can't remember what I was thinking about I just remember thinking about how down I was and that's how it made me feel it would just bring me down whatever was going through my head when I was alone and I used people as an escape for so long and then I kind of pushed them away and and couldn't deal with it and so yeah it doesn't matter if it's elite sport or if it's uh, your job or if it's your family members or a relationship or something whatever you're trying to escape from until you face it i don't think you realize that you're probably trying to escape from it or 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 you're doing yourself an immense amount of harm and just how good you'll feel when you do face it and go through the tough time of whether that's therapy or whether that's speaking to somebody or, or or you know just just facing it i wish i wish i'd reached out earlier or i wish harry had made me reach out earlier because the moment it clicked it was such a weight lifted it was and that's the moment you realize how much harm you've done to yourself others around you and how much of a different person you were what was harry's reaction harry's one of the most patient loving people if, uh, and to think that i nearly threw all that away is sickening to be honest um he's a special needs teacher so he's obviously very patient very caring um and he he put up with it for about a year and then I was away for a lot of that year as well we had Commonwealth Games and stuff like that that followed so I was in Australia I was in China I w- it was easy I wasn't at home again I could just escape everything then I got home and it was back to me behind closed doors and Harry just dealing with it all and so he was unbelievably patient I, I think if he'd he threatened he threatened to leave me a few times he went to live with his mum a few times did that trigger any change in you or did you oh, carry on going? it made me worse it made me worse and that was when it kept snow snowballing big time into kind of suicidal thoughts because then i was realizing kind of i'll be that person begging for forgiveness begging that i'll change i'll change and so on and it's it was all just lies. I didn't know what I was going to do to change. I didn't even know what was wrong. You know, I was just saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." 
but he 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 stuck by me unbelievably and then one day he just said you know you need to go get help otherwise I'm going and I don't want to leave you because I know how sad that gets you and I worry about you so I don't leave the house but I need you to get help I can't be that person right now I've done all I can do and he, he, ha- he had done all he could do but if he hadn't made me make that phone call to British Athletics mental health support there who knows who, where it would be right now I probably wouldn't be alive if I'm honest because me and Harry would have ended and I think I would have I wouldn't have got the support I wouldn't have known what to do and, and I probably would have ended up taking my life but successfully taking it and British Athletics have acted instantly. UK support were brilliant. The the support has been never ending and and has just been phenomenal. And as I say, it, it opened my mind up to realizing that just how bad things were. And the day it changed was some point in June in two thousand nineteen when the doctor I was seeing he said to me, "If you if you died tomorrow, and your gravestone was written, what would you want?" written on it about you would it be a good brother a good son a loving fiance a loving dog owner to 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 adjust my dog and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I was being none of them and if I died tomorrow what what would their last thoughts of me be they'd still love me they'd still all those people would still care for me but I wouldn't have died as a good brother or as a loving son or fiance and 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 that just opened everything up to me and I I absolutely broke down in that session but it it was just the breakthrough he had wanted to see and for me I desperately needed and and didn't realize it and and that's phenomenal and if you can ask yourself that that same thing and you can say yeah I am that's all that matters it being an athlete didn't even come into what I wanted written on my gravestone it was those other things and whether you're good at your job on or not, it doesn't matter. Are you a caring person, loving person? And if yes, then you can feel comfort in that and take comfort that you're doing everything right. And from that moment then, I do want to take you back in a minute to you were talked about you did have multiple suicide attempts and thoughts. But from that moment when that psychologist said that to you, what what thoughts started to happen and what practical things did you do because I suppose it takes time and it's not as easy just to shift things and go oh yeah like it like a light bulb moment no I mean in one way it was a light bulb moment for me but then it was the beginning of of making everything better do you know what I mean It, it only then was I able to really see what I had done to other people how I was behaving in myself the damage I was doing to myself and kind of how long it was going to take to pick myself back up so I could then do the things that I wanted to do for everybody else. And I would say it was probably December, January this year that I've really, truly felt back to me and and, and me and Harry had, you know, finally been back in a good place. And we have been now for, what, five, six months. And it's the best we've been in, in years. But it was doing the, the, the little things of just getting decent sleep, having a plan, a little routine, having an emergency plan written down in case I was starting to feel down and, and those behaviours returned, you know, how to, how can we quickly turn that turn that around? And I had that written down on my phone, if it's text this certain person or, or you know, listen to this music or remove myself from a situation, you know, we had those little things to do. And then it was little things like calling my parents more often, 
calling my friends more often, spending more time with the dog, not going away on training camps if I didn't have to. And and more importantly, you know, making a cup of tea for Harry, <laughs> you know, leaving him to lie in. Don't make him come out on the bike with you every time where you want to go training on a Saturday morning and he wants to have a lie in because he's had a stressful week at work. So it, it doesn't have to be huge things. It, it It's often kindness to you and and those are around you but as we've said already sometimes you just feel like you don't deserve that kindness yeah and it's that self-chatter in your head that self-critic that almost convinces you that you aren't good enough and then it's very hard it's almost like you're blindfolded by these horrible despairing self-loathing thoughts what chatter was going through your head when you were you were suicidal what what do you think you were telling yourself I remember often just actually saying like almost enough's enough in my own head and just it got to the point where I would wind myself up over whatever was winding me up that day because although it was like a self-loathing and a, and a almost a hatred towards myself, what would trigger it would be my, not so much my temper, but my outlook on whatever was going on that day. Or, or I was going through that week. It, can be, it was very, very local. It didn't always have to be the same thing. And, and it was, it would build. I could sense it. And almost Harry could sometimes sense it throughout the day if I was being off with him or if I was being very withdrawn or if I was being snappy or if almost as if training hadn't gone well or something else had happened. And it just triggers that in, your, in my mind. I'm going over and over, right, I need to go training tomorrow and go fast or be better or why on earth has Harry done that? He needs to realise he needs to do this, this, this. And, and and it would just completely blow up in my mind so quickly and that that I would literally get to the point of being in a screaming match with Harry or being in a screaming match with myself, you know, I'd be on my phone trying to keep my mind busy or what, watching some TV or... And I'd just drop everything and go, no, enough. I don't want to, don't want to think like this. Don't want to do it. It... It's like everything was going at a thousand miles an hour, but there was nothing productive coming out of it. And I'd be like, how can I escape? Get get me out of here. Let me let me go. Just I just want it all over now. And, you know, if it wasn't, you know, once I put a belt around the ladder to the loft, but the closest time was going. I just I just walked out of the house. That was after a screaming match with Harry and, and Harry was just, begging me to calm down and, and he'd try to, he would remove himself from the situation and I'd go after him and, uh, and and keep the argument going and he'd just try and calm himself down to calm me down and I go, I got in the car and I drove to the local motorway bridge and, and that was the day that it was, it, for me it was done with, it was over in about October 18 and, and just wanted it all done and again everything was going a thousand miles an hour I don't know I don't remember leaving the house I don't remember driving to this bridge I don't remember any of it because it was all such a whirlwind but what was going through my head I couldn't tell you and then I was stood on the edge of the bridge I I can remember struggling to kind of climb up over it because it had the wire meshing on one side to stop people doing exactly what I was trying to do and uh I can't remember whether a guy pulled up and stopped or, or he was walking by. I think he was, he was driving because there was nobody out walking at that point in late at night. And he just said, mate, what, kind of what are you doing? Kind of 
come back over and go home, go home. Because th- Harry was on the phone to me, but the phone was on the floor. I'd put that down and, and Harry was screaming down the phone, come home, come home. And and it, the guy doing that kind of just, again, another click moment. I was like, it woke me up. Like, what am I doing? I do need to go home. Why is, I can't leave Harry like this. Harry's, Harry's terrified. And I got, so I got back in the car. It was only five minutes, but God, it felt like an hour to get home. And, and, you know, I broke down and had Harry just held me. And, and you know, his patience was second to none. And, and the next day he just said, you know, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep going around in circles. You're not happy. You, you've got to stop caring so much about athletics. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And, and I couldn't see that. And thankfully, as I say, Harry made me make that phone call. If someone is in that position right now or feels that way, what would you say to them? Because I think it's incredible and thank you for being so open that we do talk about those moments because there's often people that are feeling that way and to see that there is hope at the other side. Yes, yeah, I... It's so easy for anybody to tell you that it's going to be okay or, or you know, just just do this, just do that. It'll be, it'll, it'll be all right. I mean, I, I remember speaking, getting upset to a couple of friends and uh, in that period and, and they would say and do the right things that, you know, as any good friends would. But it doesn't really matter until you get to those moments of absolute extreme. That's That's how you need somehow to just get to the step beforehand and know that you've got to make this decision rather than rather than taking your own life decision, and that's the the key bit. It's those steps beforehand that you have to say you need to have something in place, like a like a security plan, and that again doesn't need to be much. But if you are getting closer and closer to it, and you think that's all, I just want out. You need to remember that this isn't you thinking this this isn't you how you feel it's really really not you no matter how much there's a part of your brain telling you it is and you're convinced that you're not worth the time of day you're not worth the effort to yourself let alone to anybody else you are and that's where having a reminder on your phone having something to tell you to call somebody or to calm yourself down and remove yourself from the situation whatever your trigger is whatever that you know when you calm down when you when you're having a calm moment you can put into place something anything one little thing can save your life mine was was harry and now it's it's kind of the network that i've set up which has taken six to nine months to do that for anybody listening it's it's like there is still things you enjoy there are still things that you want to do whatever that one percent of that is go and do it when you're starting to feel low, when when things are getting bad. Text, call somebody that you love. It doesn't have to be a helpline, doesn't have to be anything. You don't even have to tell them anything. Whatever takes your mind off it, whatever starts to control how you're feeling. And then when you're ready and when you feel like you've got the confidence, that's when you do need to reach out and get some professional help. You know, nobody knew, not even my coach knew what the the support I, I had been getting for the best part of... 15 months nobody had to know you know I didn't tell the press I didn't I didn't tell uh, the only people that knew was was Harry that was it and 
and that's all that matters. It doesn't have to, you don't have to tell everyone, it doesn't have to change your world if you're getting support. So many people do it and nobody even realises it. And when you're feeling strong enough, that's the point to do it. But the important thing is controlling those emotions and those extreme times when, you know, you could go to the point of taking your life. And then when you when you did have therapy and psychology, was that what they went and told you to do and helped you and taught you to do to control those emotions and cope with them? Yeah, it was brilliant. It was all at your own pace. It was, all, you know, no one's out there to... to lock you away yeah you know it's it's not nothing like that it's slowly but surely sort of thing it's going completely off what how you feel or what you feel comfortable with what you you the person that you've forgotten about what is best for them and and they make you realize that again they make you realize how important you are because so often you're telling yourself people would be better off without you and so on whatever that's family or line of work or sport oh it'd be easier without me they make you realize that that's not true there's so many people on this earth you know there's billions of people but everybody has a network and everybody has something to live for somebody to live for you know and 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 many people can't see that it strikes me how recent it is i mean so many things you're talking about i can definitely relate to myself and it's so recent for you though how does it feel talking about it now I mean it it took me so long to to accept and be able to speak I think because for me especially it was quite a light bulb moment I was able to realize what a negative person I, I, I had become and so I was so being an athlete, you want to go and achieve what you want to achieve as quickly as possible. And you do whatever you can to get there. That's all I was doing. And and by speaking publicly about it was because I wanted to show myself that I, I was past it, you know, and it's not like it's past it forever. Bits always come back. They always do. But that's why you have things in place. And that's why I've done things, little things that that are more important to me than just athletics to mean that when I get low there's always something else going on or there's always somebody else there who is ready to cheer me up or or distracts me from what I I was thinking and my motivation goes goes there and yeah even though it was you know we're talking still early months it, it shows how I think it demonstrates just how big a deal it is when people say oh that wasn't me that you know, I don't know what I was thinking. It's true. It really is true that it, it takes over your mind. It's an illness. It's not you. And I felt like I got me back. And I think my family, my friends felt like they got me back as well. It's nice to see you got like a big smile on your yeah. face when you say that. And you're so right that it is an illness and disease. It's not just you or feeling a bit rubbish. Um, You know, it does take over your mind. And now moving forward how is it make you enjoy athletics more and look forward to Tokyo because you've got other things in your life yeah I know it's uh, a bit different because obviously Tokyo has been pushed back and you know all this stuff at the moment (laughs) well no but you're dead right everything I do I enjoy more now because I'm doing everything right I'm doing enough training I'm I'm committing enough of my life to it I'm, I'm committed to my athletics but it's not taking over everything I do. 
I commit, but I don't care is kind of what I say a little bit. I care about Harry. I care about my family. I'm committed to my athletics like somebody would be committed to their job and would turn up and work hard. But at the end of the day, they go home to their dog, their family, their friends. I think that's that's the biggest thing about being an athlete is it's 24-7. It's what you eat, what you drink, how much sleep you get, the training camps away from home and so on. Whereas for me now, I've got that balance of doing all of that, but also being able to do what Harry wants to do or, or okay, I'm not going to go away on that training camp because I've got my best mate's wedding or something like that. I'm going to make sure I'm there and then go, okay, I miss a week at altitude. Big deal. I'll probably turn up and be happier and be more productive when I get there because I've been to my best mate's wedding rather than be sulking around for the first few weeks because I've seen all the pictures online of my best mate's wedding that I missed. And that's how you know you can take confidence that when I do go away, I'm leaving home in a great place, going into sport in a good way. And it was a shame about Tokyo being pushed back because I feel like I, I've really just got my form back. At end of February, first week of March, I set back-to-back British records over 5K and 10K. So it was, it was all just going perfectly well. So it was a real shame for me personally. But again, I've not let Tokyo being postponed kind of get me down or anything like that and plenty of people have been checking in on me because I I think people are a bit worried you know that oh god is this going to affect Tom and I've just been like yeah I'm, I'm miserable at times it's frustrating I was in great shape but I know what I did to get there I can do it all over again and and enjoy it just as much uh, and and I get to spend time with Harry that I haven't had ever in our relationship pretty much so it it's a gift in, in a way and and it was funny when I came out publicly in 2015 in the interview, Victoria Derbyshire asked me, do you reckon this is going to change anything, you know, in your own life? And I was like, no, I'm out with my family. My, my friends know, my team know. It's not going to change much at all. The next year I went on and set something like four British records, sixth at the Olympic Games. You know, I achieved things I never achieved before. And I wonder whether there was that 5%, 10% of worrying about hiding who I was in interviews, in media, on social media, at races and that sort of thing that was no longer focused on worrying about that. And that now I've got 100% focus on racing and competing and training. That distraction's gone and I became a better athlete for it. And I think having that balance now as an older athlete of life and athletics, again, has made me that better athlete I, it's it's a it's a surprise well, not a surprise I didn't think you know when I was at my best at 2016 2017 it wasn't healthy but now I realize maybe I could get better because I'm actually what I'm doing I'm really enjoying it and it's not compromising on the rest of my life and you're you all the time you don't have to be a different person or hide maybe how you're really feeling or any of these things to anybody and you can just concentrate on being you Maybe this is a good thing because you can be even better now in Tokyo because you'll have had this year to really kind of like set everything in. Can't wait to see to see what you do. Yeah, as you say, <laughs> every, every cloud, silver lining yeah, exactly. and, and positive thinking. So, yeah, hit the nail on the head there. Oh, thanks so much. I know you've taken quite a lot of your time, but I want to say a huge thanks. And I really appreciate you sharing, Tom, and really appreciate your time as well. Um, and I hope you've all found it helpful wherever you're listening. Remember, it may feel like it, but you're not alone. And if you really are struggling, you can call 111 in the UK. That's the NHS line available 24 hours, seven days a week 
or various different helplines in your country. Check them out online. And as Tom said, you don't necessarily have to call a helpline. Maybe reach out to somebody or find that little thing that helps you keep holding on and feel free to get in touch with any questions on social media. You can contact me and I'm sure Tom, anybody can contact you. What's Absolutely. your social media account? You can just get me at Tom Bosworth on, on pretty much anything. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> Thanks again, Tom. Like massive, massive thanks for being so open and sharing. Um, and keep going, focus on one day at a time, which both myself and Thomas spoke about, and we'll speak again very soon. Bye.